Welcome to another segment of the Gay Archive series, where we talk about gay entertainment from the past. I'm your host, Art Smith, and our special guest tonight is a playwright from Texas who then became an LA-based director, writer, producer, stand-up comedian, gay and human rights activist, and all-around shit-stirrer. He's a self-proclaimed minor gay celebrity. Welcome, Del Shores. So it's good to see you Sorry I'm a little late. You too. How are you? Excellent. Living life in paradise. Yeah, well, that's good. That's good. Where, where, now, remind me where you are, what city you are? Tampa, Florida. Oh, yeah. The same place oh, you saw me last time. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, it's all coming back. Well, I've done a few things in my life and I'm getting fucking old. So I just, a lot of times I get mixed cities and where am I? And, um, and it's been a whole year of Zoom, uh, <laughs> you know. I understand. It's been a strange year for all of us. So, as you know, this project that I'm working on is all about archiving information, logos, stories about gay bars from the past. And personally, I feel it's very important because it has a lot to do with where we've come to today. You know, the bar scene had a lot to do with building our community. But I stumbled across some information today. I was speaking to um, a mutual friend, Robert Camina. Yeah, and we, and we oh, I were, love Robert. Isn't he great? Um, yeah. he, he's done a, an, an incredible video about the uh, tragic fire at the Upstairs Lounge in Louisiana, which is some, something many people don't know about. But then he recently, more recently, did one about the Rainbow Lounge raid in Fort Worth. And I know that was something that was kind of near and dear to your that. heart. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, experience? Well, I mean, you know, Robert came to me um, and uh, I had uh, that that raid happened, I guess, after I had done an event there and uh, or or I had at least been at that bar for you because Fort Worth has been a very big uh, deal in my life. Uh, They Circle Theater did a lot of my plays and uh, the film festival there. Uh, screened a lot of my movies and so I'd been there and then all of a sudden that happened and uh, so I went back and uh, helped raise money and then of course did a a little uh, uh, appearance in his in his uh, in his documentary so Robert's done such great work I just love that he 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 shines a light on injustice and and our history you know yeah, it was. Okay. It's a great movie. I watched it again today, and uh, it's very moving. It really teaches people a lot. But what people don't realize is, you know, in the course of my research, I've discovered a lot of stories that predate Stonewall about riots and raids and things that impacted mm-hmm. the gay community around the country. But what a lot of people don't realize is the story of the raid at the Rainbow Lounge actually occurred 40 years to the day after Stonewall, 2009. Right. That's very recent history to still be having that kind of treatment in the gay community. It was crazy. It was like, here we were, all this, you know, progress was being made. And, and, and you're, you're thinking, what? How the hell is this happening? 
you know, in my home state, I mean, and, and you know, I, I often joke uh, about uh, you know, people go, why, well, why'd you leave Texas? You write about Texas, you embrace Texas. And I go, yeah, well, it's, it's a great place to be except for the, you know, the racism and the bigotry. Uh, and, and there are lots of great people in all red states. There are lots of great people. I mean, I talk about bars. I, mean, I have played many, many bars in red states uh, with my standup and, and uh, people go, you sell tickets? I go, yeah, because I'm alternative programming. <laughs> you know? um, so, yeah. So when, when, uh, when, when did you first discover the kind of gay bar scene and plying your trade there or going there just, you know, as a patron? Well, it started as a patron. I mean, the, you know, uh, I came out so late in life and had been in a marriage uh, to to my ex-wife and had two two girls. And so I made up for lost time uh, in West Hollywood. So first, the first uh, West Hollywood and, and, you know, Cedar Springs in, in Dallas uh, were kind of my first hangs. And uh, I mean, it was, I don't even know how I got sleep back when I first came out. I was in my mid thirties and I was like going to alternative night at rage uh you know on monday nights and then the happy hour or, or karaoke over at revolver on tuesday nights and then maybe I, I had a break on wednesday and then you know there's the there's always something going on and uh friday nights were the great i love friday nights because of club cherry you know that was just celebrating uh, it was just celebrating everybody that's what was so great about it. It was, you know, straights dancing with gay guys uh, and, and, you know, androgyny and uh, 80s music. It was uh, so, so the bar scene for me started with me as a patron. And then, of course, when I started doing stand up, uh, I got invited to a lot of bars uh, in a, to, to perform and um, in, in these beautiful spaces. And I filmed uh, the Rose Room where Leslie Jordan and I used to just go after Sorted Lives was in Fort Worth. We would go to the Rose Room and watch drag. And um, it's where Asia O'Hara, you know, from Drag Race is was there. And this is back when it was just tiny. And now they've expanded. It's huge. And I've done so many shows there and filmed, uh, I think, three of my stand-up specials there at the Rose Room. Now, speaking of Leslie Jordan, um, I know you two have a long history and some of that involves clubbing together and some of that involves working together. And um, Leslie made a, a comment to me in an interview about six or seven years ago that all of your stories um, about, you know, gay situations in your writing come from his life, that you've basically stolen his life story and translated it into a quasi-fictional episode. Oh, so he was in a mental institution? Because I don't remember that being part is of that, his life journey. Is that where uh, he- Yeah, I think, uh, look, look, here's the deal. Leslie has told me a million stories. I have lived a lot of stories with Leslie. So yes, a lot of those are, it, it, it's mainly though in Southern Baptist Sissies because when I wrote Peanut, Leslie had already gotten sober 
And Leslie, of course, had confessed so many stories. Uh, it was this hustler bar in, um, in Los Angeles called Hunters. And that was his hang. And I would hear about all these boys. And so all of those stories about with that, that came out of Peanut's mouth, uh, yes, they they were they were uh, at least the germ started with Leslie, and of course I embellished them to make it right for that. So when I when I presented the play to him, which was a play first, um, he says, "Well, thanks for putting all my secrets in the in this you know in in, in his mouth." And I said, "Well, will you do it?" And he said, "Absolutely." So um, <laughs> yeah, he's a great so. character. He's a wonderful person. Um, yeah. Now, speaking of, you know, of gay bar situations, you also, a lot of people know this, some maybe don't, um, you wrote for three seasons um, working on Queer as Folk, the last three seasons, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes. And that was one of the most iconic representations of gay nightlife on video ever in the history of mainstream television. I mean, I don't think we've ever seen an expose or, you know, an insight into what the gay club culture was like as much as we did in that series. What was that like? How did you, you know, relate to, to working on that? Well, what was wonderful about working on Queer as Folk was uh, the, the creators of Queer as Folk, the American version, uh, Rod Cowan and, and Dad Lintman, they really, they hired all gay writers and they really wanted our lives uh, on, on and we took from our lives, not just for the the bars, but also you know, uh, 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 you know, relationships or whatever. So we would share a whole lot in the writers' room, and uh, it was it was kind of an amazing time for me because it was such a hit when I came on to the show that Showtime was not censoring us on any level. I mean, it was like we wrote whatever we wanted. They did not. Uh, you know, there was nobody like many, many TV shows. There's a lot of hands that are in, in mouths that tell you what to do. We had we had total creative control uh, when we were writing that show. It was a, it was a beautiful place to be. So I loved that we were uh, I what I loved about Queers Folk as a fan the first two seasons before I became, a, a, you know, a writer producer on the show was I loved that we didn't just celebrate but we told the truth and, and and quite honestly we got in trouble with a lot of the gay community because some of our gay community you know the a gays who are on all the boards they did not want that part of exposure they did not want us to be telling you know about the drugs about you know the back rooms or what you know you know the blowjobs in the back or whatever they that, that they felt like that that was that was something we we shouldn't be exposing and i just think that it was you know we, we it was a great celebration besides it was uh, it was great truth telling yeah and it was a great show i remember i actually have a a texas connection to queer as folk from the first time i ever saw it um i was living in austin at the time and the dallas gay film festival had an, a viewing of the original British version of Queer as Folk mm -hmm. back in, I think, 99 or 2000. And um, I was living there at the time. So that was the first time I was exposed to Queer as Folk. And shortly after seeing that, they announced that it was going to be coming to the U.S. 
in a new version. And I was like, wow, this is going to be really cool because it was just, I almost felt left out that the Brits had this, you know, brilliant comedy and we had nothing even remotely similar. And it was brilliant. The British version, Russell Davies, who created that, it was just brilliant. Uh, They keep asking for a reboot and they, they say that there is going to be, but they went to the original source. So it's not going to be a, 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 a reboot of anything related to the American version. If, if they indeed do it, I haven't heard that much about it lately, but um, you know, they were, they were dealing with Russell um, on that, but it, yeah, it was, I remember, I don't, do you, did you ever go like, you were at a film festival. So did, do you remember when they, uh, when the American version came out and at all the film festivals, they were, they had these like church fans and oh, yeah. they would have like, they would have like Brian Kenny and it would say top. And then it would, you know, uh, you know, Justin bottom and, uh, and Emmett queen, you know, it was just so brilliantly marketed for us. And we did, we, we finally found, felt like we had something that was ours. Right. And, um, yeah, and it, it premiered on my birthday, December third. I always remember it with uh, every fan at Outfest said December third coming. You know, two thousand and one, I believe, is when it premiered. All right then, yeah, that was that was great. Um, now, in the course of my research, um, I've had a couple of people from different parts of the country claim that their bar or their favorite bar in their hometown was actually used for some filming of. Um, the Babylon bar scenes and you tried to kind of call me out on it today on your show with Emerson, but um, where, where were the bar scenes actually filmed for queer as well? Yes. I was like, I, I, I was, um, I wasn't really, I was, that, that was for, (laughs) that was basically in response to someone who always asks us questions that should be Googled. And my point was on the show, which I don't know if I expressed well, is that I was asked, where did we feel Babylon? And I was going, I had to Google. I mean, I literally had to go on Google to answer this question. I, you know, the the reason I, I honestly didn't know is when I came on the show, it was at, uh, we were already on a soundstage. So it was a replica of the, of, of what, so I did Google it. And I think it was Fly was the name of the bar. Am I right? I don't know. You don't know? I've heard mixed reviews. (laughs) But it was, it it literally was down there on Church Street, you know, uh, in in Toronto, because we filmed Queers Folk in Toronto. So of course, uh, doubling for, Liberty Avenue in uh, in Pittsburgh, uh, but uh, I they they did use those bars and for Woody's as well. There and there, what was the irony was there was a Woody's bar right there that I believe that they shot the first couple of seasons. But it, you know it makes so much sense when you're a hit to then build the sets on right. sound stages so you can contain the uh, you you know you can contain the noise you can. Uh, really uh, shoot later or, or earlier. You don't have to rely on the bar closing down. So right. I think that's why I think it was called Fly. If I'm yeah, there was mistaken. there was one um, one or two people who had mentioned to me that the the alley scenes and stuff outside the bar were actually shot um, where Pegasus is that, or was that, in Pittsburgh. That sounds right. That sounds right. So that was a pretty cool uh, show too. But it was, you know, that it, it was so interesting because some of us, we were working on the show, even some of the actors who we were going, 
we're, we're, we're set in Pittsburgh. And we, I, I, at that point, I'd never even been to Pittsburgh when I got cast. I mean, when I got uh, hired to, to uh, be on the uh, a writer on the show. So I had to, I had to Google. I really did. I had to go look at Liberty Avenue and look at, and let me tell you something. The queerest folk version was a lot. I think the the gay scene there was a little more happening than than the real Liberty Avenue. Uh, and everybody from Pittsburgh always says, "Oh yeah, you made us. You, you, you made, made us, us look, look great. Yeah, well, you made us look great." So, but that's uh, again a fun time. Such a great opportunity for me. It was my favorite my favorite gig in TV to this day. Very cool. Even over your own. Uh, yes, it was. I mean, I loved everything. I don't, here's the thing about Queers Folk. There is not one bad taste in my mouth about that show. There's no bad. Uh, with Sorted Lives, the series, it was an amazing shoot. I loved working. And of course, being that, that in control of writing and directing every episode, the creativeness of it was the best experience but the aftermath of what happened to us really um destroyed that great memory so uh i i have returned and looked at it and uh and 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 and, and you know and, and it's 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 like that with life you know it's like i was married to jason dotley at the time and and you know i remember such great memories that we had making that together, then he divorced me. And, and, and I look at it, it was really hard for me to watch the show for a long time. Right. Uh, during, during the pandemic, we've become friendlier, which has been nice. It's, it's, it, uh, so I, I actually watched the whole thing during the pandemic. Uh, I showed it every night on my fan page on um, Facebook. Yeah, I've met Jason. He, I, as the only thing I remember really about the uh, experience meeting him here in Tampa, he was performing, I think, at Honeypot. Um, the only thing I remember distinctly about the evening is drinking shots of bourbon with him. That sounds right. So <laughs> um, I know we had some conversation. I don't remember much of it. Yeah. So along the course of your career, you've been involved in a lot of different projects that you've written, you've scripted, you've invented yourself. Um the Sorted Lives, the Southern Baptist Sissies. Right now you're working on a, um, a kind of um, news and entertainment show called Dell and Emerson. Um, but a lot of us have already seen a lot of that. We're familiar with those, those things. I was speaking to another mutual friend of ours today, uh, Leslie Kimball, and she, oh. said, she, she said, tell you hi and give you big hugs and to ask him about his latest play, this side of crazy. Oh, well, that's so sweet. Uh, Leslie is, has become a very good friend. And I was so fortunate that I was able to, to mentor her a little bit with her play. Uh, her, and, she, and, and when I read it, I said, oh, my God, someone because uh, you are you get you get sent a lot of things and and they're not always good. Uh, but it was uh, floral broads and I, and, you know, I, I helped her, uh, get it published with Samuel French. So that was very sweet of her. Yeah. I, I had right before the pandemic, in fact, it hit the last two weeks of the run here. Uh, I had a crazy great experience with that play first in San Francisco. It premiered it's four women. Uh, it's Diddy Blaylock and the Blaylock sisters. Um, and it's uh, a week in their life when, uh, the most famous uh, gospel songwriter uh, 
reunites her daughter for this tribute, her daughters for who were once little superstars for Jesus. And uh, there's a lot of shit in that family. There is a lot of dark secrets. So it was uh, it was really fun to 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 create that that with the cast and the great team up in San Francisco at New Conservatory Theater Center first and then here at the Zephyr Theater. And uh, we just got six ovation nominations here in LA. And ironically, yesterday, Dale Dickey and I, uh, right here where I'm standing, we filmed our acceptance speeches, which we may not win. Uh, It was like, (laughs) you know, because they're not going to be, they may not be like, and I was like, how pathetic is this going to be? You know, when we, if we do not win and we made these acceptance speeches as if we won. Right. Especially if they pull a a family feud uh, flop and play the wrong acceptance video after you don't accept it. You know what I was telling, I was telling someone, I said, you know, because I've been, I've actually done uh, a couple of of stand-up Zooms where they Zoom bomb. Have you ever had that happen where all of a sudden, like, you know, two guys fucking just come into the, you know, it, it, <laughs> that, that will distract from your standup. I will tell you right now that happened to me with Uncabaret. Uh, and I was thinking, I wonder if I could just, you know, and the winner is and just zoom bomb my acceptance speech right there. <laughs> there you go. That would be very cool. So Leslie also, she's trying to tell all your secrets. Um, she said, ask about fun walks with Beverly D'Angelo. It's so funny you ask. I, I, tomorrow, actually, Beverly and I are going on a, uh, we're doing a little road trip down to uh, Santa Barbara uh, to, to, to look at a house she, she wants to rent for a couple of months. And um, I, you know, Beverly is, is one of my dearest friends. We we reconnected early pandemic thanks to our mutual friend Brandy Clark, the country singer, and uh, she was Evelita in my my movie Daddy's Dying, who's got the will. And you know, as it goes, your lives goes different ways. And uh, she raised two, you know, two 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 amazing kids. I raised my kids, and then suddenly uh, we just start talking every day, and then we start hiking together. And so we 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 did a bunch of. Um, uh, Instagram post called, you know, uh, 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 Bev and Dell. Uh, and we just talked shit and we made up shit. We, we'd love to lie. We just love to create lies. So, uh, she's a, she's a fun, she's a fun, fun gal. And I can't wait to actually <laughs> go out with Beverly to a bar or something after this is all over. Cause it's all, you know, COVID is just, you just, you cherish those friendships where, you know, they're in your bubble, you know, and I just got my first vaccine, you know, my first, so, so I'm going to be able to see more people and hug more people. Exactly. I don't know if this is a good sign or not. I got mine uh, Friday, the first one, and they automatically schedule you for the second one when yeah. you get the first one. And when they gave me the card back, it said April 1st. I don't know if oh, I should well. be concerned. Is April well, Fool's this, a good day to be getting your vaccine? I think so. I, Art, I'm having my shoulder replaced on April Fool's Day. <laughs> so I'm like, is that okay? I think it's okay. Yeah, why not? I, uh, yeah, my, my second one's scheduled for the 24th. I'm going to try to get it a little earlier because... Uh, did you get Pfizer? Yes. Or, yeah, me too. They yeah. didn't give me a choice, but 
Me neither, but I'm glad I got Pfizer. I like I like what I'm hearing about everything. Well, plus you're supporting the company that made Viagra, right? There you go. So um, I guess I maybe they'll give us some free samples just uh, with, with, along with the vaccine. We should ask now, on that second vaccine. We go. By the way, definitely. Um, <laughs> so you've worked with. Um, a number of different celebrities in your different shows that you've done over the years. And a couple that stick out in my head that, you know, maybe you can just say something a little bit about one of them is a woman that I just absolutely love. The first time I went to interview her, uh, she had been grand marshal at the Disney Easter parade in East in uh, Orlando. And we had an appointment. I showed up at her suite at the wilderness lodge and she answered the door in a big fluffy pink, um, bathrobe and her hair and curlers carolyn Carol ray. Ray. of course <laughs> i guessed it I mean, the other day i was like um we we did this she said can i facetime with you because she was going to ask me some questions about this script she was co-writing and she and her her writing partner came on and i said could you just do your hair? I mean, what, she is amazing. I love her so much. She is who she is. She is truly one of the funniest people uh, I have ever met in my life. And I, one of my very best friends to this day. In fact, I'm going to call her when we get, get, get done with this and tell her that she did some interview in a bathrobe. It sounds so much like her though. Well, yeah. And then, and then about, oh, I guess about two or three months later, um, that had happened in Orlando. About two or three months later, I was in um, Hollywood and I was doing some promotion um, with different shows, talk show hosts, Jay Leno and Donnie and Marie when they still had their show and for a fundraiser I was doing for the Elton John Age Foundation. And that was in like 99. Um, so I was waiting to get into the Donnie and Marie show and Caroline Ray comes running up in a jogging suit and this is early in the morning and she's all flustered and she's looking for where one of the stage hands was or something. And I was like, Hey, how are you doing? She's okay. But I'm looking for, you know, my friend, blah, blah, blah. She had locked herself out of her apartment and she, he had a spare key. So she had to come to the studio to get a spare key <laughs> from the stage hand. And I thought, this is crazy. This is just stuff that doesn't happen in real life. But apparently in Carolyn's life, it does. Oh, it's, it just sounds so much like her. She's, she, you know, I, did, I used to tell her, I said, you know, you're just no Lita with money. I mean, that's, you know, because she's, no Lita's all over the place. I, she is amazing. She but she's is, one of the I, most genuine people, though. Um. I love that in her standup, she always used to, she used to say, you know, I'm one, I'm the kind of celebrity that fans at some point just say, I just really wanted a picture. <laughs> I, I, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Cause she is, she's got great stories. Great stories. She's, she, you know, uh, she's the reason I do stand up. She is truly uh, the one who told me to do it because I was doing a, a one man play uh, my, my first time when it was my sorted life and she came to see it when I, would, I played New York and afterwards uh, the next day she said you know if we pull some of those stories that's stand up and she said and you can open for me and so she took me on the road with her 
And I did uh, several shows with Caroline Ray, and she really taught me how to connect with an audience. And uh, so, yay, Caroline Ray. I love her. Very cool. Now, another one that I know you've worked with a couple of times and um, had become kind of a, an icon, uh, especially in the gay world, because of the popularity of the, of the TV show, is uh, Rue McClanahan. You've worked with yeah. her as well. Um, just, just on the series. I mean, it was her final series, uh, Sorted Lives, a series. So I got to do 12 episodes of, uh, with her, and she became a very close friend. So that was her, 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 her loss. Uh, I mean, our loss, all of our loss of Rue McClanahan was just devastating to us. Um, Caroline Ray loved Rue McClanahan, uh, but I can't remember. Rue could insult you so fast, but in a real sharp, wonderful way. And uh, Caroline used to say about Rue, she, she'd go, oh, oh, you're, oh, Rue, yes, uh, the D is silent, correct? <laughs> um, but yeah such such an amazing actress and uh you know it, it, there are certain actors leslie jordan's one of them uh caroline ray's another one but there are, are, are actors that make your work funnier and when you cast them and rue was one of those i call them freebies uh just a look mm-hmm. just the way you say a line Delta Burke also had that where you, she would say a line differently than you heard it in your head and it would just bring the house down. It was a, Rue, and Rue was genuinely, you know, she's from Oklahoma. So we were like kindred right next to each other. And um, yeah, I miss her. So now you're going to have to script something for Betty White. Because that's another iconic. Yeah, that's, uh, that would be a nice, uh, That'd be nice to to write for Betty. I I uh, she'll say anything. Yeah, you don't have to worry about her watching her mouth or not saying. You know, she's at ninety whatever ninety nine years old. She's She's pretty much ninety nine. She's she's pretty much open to saying what's what's on her mind or what's what she wants to say. I was I was so fortunate to also work with Carol Cook in uh, a very sordid wedding, and Carol just turned ninety seven. And still, it's just sharp, and I'm just so sharp. Um, and I, it's wonderful working with seasoned comedians or comedians that it, it's it's because they know their shit. You know, you don't have to feed them line readings. You don't have to do anything. They hear what you hear and beyond. So, so after having worked at all these projects over the years and having a great deal of success and having, you know, put out a, a pretty good body of work. I mean, it, when you start listing all the different uh, pieces that you've written and performed in, it's pretty substantial. Uh, how has that changed since the pandemic? Because you were saying that, you know, uh, this side of crazy was kind of impacted uh, around the opening by, by the pandemic. How was, how do you, how has that affected the my creative mojo. It, well, the, the, the great thing is before the pandemic, uh, I started developing a, a series with Emerson and we actually sold it during the pandemic. I can't really talk too much about it right now, but we're in heavy development. So we have, we've stayed, even though we're isolated and we're writing over FaceTime, we've been able to continue to create. I also 
stumbled into something that, you know, because everybody always wants something sorted. They always want me to return to the sorted franchise. And I found all of the short stories that were supposed to be a novel that I was writing um, called uh, The Sorted Saga, which was a prequel to the movie that inspired the series. And so when I sold the series, I just abandoned it. And I had, I believe, 18 chapters finished. And I have just finished today uh, 31 chapters and it's gonna have 3209. Uh, It's gonna have 32 chapters and then a little little bitty tag, which is gonna be 3209. And uh, so I'm going to, uh, that's going to be published later on. Uh, and so I've been able to stay creative and with Emerson on the Dell and Emerson show, you know, uh, but it is, it is, uh, it is hard uh, going back to our theme of bars. Uh, so many, you know, I just launched a new stand-up show uh, called uh, the Shitster, and I done it. Uh, the last time I performed on stage was August of 2019 because I paused to direct this side of crazy in San Francisco and then came back to direct it here in LA. And then after that, I was planning to go on the road a little bit and that didn't happen. It's been uh, income wise, uh, took a big hit, you know, uh, but I'm okay. And I celebrate being okay. That, uh, you know, as you said, I've, if I were dead ass broke again, I'd be a fool. Um, but, um, but because a lot of people are struggling and, 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 and with such good reason. And, um, I, um, my empathy goes out to those people, especially who, you know, were serving us, those people in our bars, uh, those go, the go-go boys, the, you know, the drag queens who had to, figure out a, a way to survive during this pandemic. It's just been so difficult. It has. So. And, and it's changed the way we interact quite a bit. I know the past 12 months, um, once they started closing things down for the pandemic, which was literally almost a year ago today, it was right almost around a year. Today, um, I kind of kicked my bar research into high gear. And in the last 12 months, I have documented over 1,300 gay bars that no longer exist. Wow. Mostly in the U.S. And they date back, some of them, into the mid-19th century, but for the most part, the post-war era um, around the country. And it's just an amazing thing to think about how much different, even before the pandemic, our bar life had become. You know, because mm-hmm. I think when you had your first experiences with Leslie, um, even though you were not coming out as a teenager, you were coming out as an adult, um, the bars still had a certain sense of community to them. Yes, absolutely. They were still our safe havens. They were still the places we went, not only to meet someone to sleep with or date, but also where we went to share our political views, to get support for our emotional issues, to be our authentic selves that we could not be at work or anywhere else. And the scene had already changed before the pandemic, but now even more so because I personally, I've been, I've been out to a bar, I think two times, three times in the last year. And always during like mid-afternoon happy hour, 
when I know there's only going to be a dozen people in the bar and they're going to mm -hmm. be well distanced. The last thing I want to do right now is go into a bar that's packed with people. Yeah, it's it, it, yeah. I wrote this word down when you you know said what are the significance of the bars in the gay community, and I said connection. We connected there, whether it be for sex, whether it be for just conversation, you know, on the patio of of Revolver, or whether it be there to celebrate, you know, a drag night, the Dream Girls review, or whatever it is. And it, it's heartbreaking that, I mean, yes, we lost a lot before pandemic, but we lost rage here in Los Angeles. We lost the Gold Coast. Um, so many of our bars have closed here. And I remember, you know, I, I don't go out that much. Let's just be honest. I'm 63 years old right now. And it sounds like a really good idea at three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> uh, but, but around 10, when, you know, your friend's going, okay, meet me at, you know, Revolver at 1030. I'm going, what? I, you know, no, but I, 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 I'm going to take naps after the pandemic and go out some. <laughs> And, and really celebrate our bars again. And, you know, it's like, uh, I, I just love, I love the spirit of it. And I can't wait to be back in the Rose Room. And, you know, we filmed um, the, the Brother Boy tragic performance at, uh, the, at the Rose Room. I, I can't wait to be back there and see Cassie Nova and, and Crystal Summers and Asia O'Hara and all the girls and then and then go, you know, around the corner to the tin room and uh, stuff dollar bills down or five dollar bills. I guess it's going to be I'm going to give them tens now down go-go uh, boys shorts. And, you know, it's just we have such a great culture and um, go across the street to the roundup and, you know, watch them the line dance. So. There's so many great bars. I have so many amazing memories. I was when you were. I, I love that you're doing this, by the way, because it just a floodgate of memories came over me today when I was reading your questions, and I was thinking of you know just walking down uh, Bourbon Street, and there's Oz, and there's the Bourbon Pub, and you know the corner pockets around the corner, and then it. it I, I miss it. I miss it a lot. Yeah, it's it's a very very different scene. I was just. Um, scheduling a, uh, an interview with another uh, club promoter who's out of New York City. And he's actually planning on opening up a four-story super club, gay super club in Manhattan. It's already in the process of being built out and decorated, mm. but he's waiting for the pandemic to kind of go away so he can, he can open it. And it's going right. to be a very large multi-bar complex that's going to be... Um, on the edge of Hell's Kitchen and Times Square area of New York. So, you know, it, that gives me some hope that one person who has his foot firmly planted in the entertainment mm -hmm. scene for the gay community has enough confidence to go to this extent and bring back a club, not, you know, a little neighborhood bar with six stools, but something big and grand. And so that gives me a little bit of hope. Well, I, I think that I think we're all going to be just ready to to go into theaters. And, and I was thinking about that the other day because, you know, there were, there were times where you, oh, I'm just going to stay in Friday night. I, oh, I don't want to stay in anymore. When this is over, I want to go, I, I want to go to the Mark Taper forum. I want to see a play. I want to go and right. just celebrate. I've I got to tell you though, I was thinking about, you know, going back on the road and if, and I was like, I just wonder if there will be openings in bars for, uh, you know, 
it's not just a minor celebrity. It's like, you know, the, 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 you've got the superstars with the RuPaul's Drag Race now. And I, I, think, I, I bet there's not going to be space for me because everybody's going to be wanting to go back and perform. Um, so we'll see. Well, I'm, Maybe sure I there's, can. I'm sure there's space with, for you. I don't think we're, you know, you really compete head on with drag queens for, for stage. Space. No, I, I compete, you know, with, with drag, I don't compete with drag queens. I, they always want me for the early shows. So they, cause they all go on about, a, you know, 10 30 or 11 and that I will go on at eight. And when the club is usually dark uh, and, and, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll play to 28 people if they'll come and show up for me. <laughs> So Dell, tell us about the Dell Shores Foundation. Again, the pandemic had us, we, we had to put a lot of, of, of what we are planning to do with the foundation on hold. But uh, the Dell Shores Foundation was created a couple of years ago and my good friend Stuart Bell brought it to Emerson and myself. And what it does is it, it, we, we are a mentoring program for LGBTQ Southern uh, storytellers. And uh, it doesn't matter what age you are. If you have a story to tell, we want to help our community tell their stories. So we will be having, uh, we'll have contests. We will have uh, grants to theaters to produce the plays that, that come through the Del Shores Foundation and uh, short films. We have a short film competition uh, and, and screenplay competition. And, and we, will, we will get up and running uh, we're right now we're about to uh, hire an executive director. So as the pandemic is coming to a close, we can see that we can now uh, em embrace what we uh, what we decided to do. So yeah, if you want more information, please just go to uh, uh, foundation.org and you can read all about our our, our beautiful foundation that um, is for storytellers. Well, it's great being able to share some memories with you and kind of get a little bit of insight into what makes you tick. You certainly have had a, an important part in chronicling some of the experiences of the gay community and getting them out to you know, mainstream audiences, because in quite a number of your works, you've had a pretty clear representation of one or more gay characters that other you know, people in the mainstream world may never have been exposed to. We as gay people know them, but mm -hmm. it's something that a lot of, um, you know, the mainstream world just never knew about. And I think that's a really important part of recording our history and documenting who we are and what we're all about. And whether that be with uh, Southern Baptist sissies or that be with queer as folk or whatever, you've played a part in that history, which is, you know, really wow. kind of a nice, a nice thing. Well, thank you. I, you know, I, I always just say I'm a storyteller, whether I'm standing on stage talking shit or I'm writing something or I'm writing and directing. It's just I, I just want to tell my stories. And so I, I've been really, really fortunate that that my community and beyond have embraced my work. And uh, I have to say, I, I do start my days with a gratitude list. And I'm very this pandemic has made me so grateful for the history that I have and, and the, the beauty of our community, because there's a lot of good people and I have met so many great people. Um, and I can't wait, cannot wait to be back on the road, to be at film festivals, to be in theaters and to, 
you know, as we say in the South, just to love your neck. I just want <laughs> my great grandmother always go, oh, come here. Let me love your neck, honey. Well, I'm going to love a lot of necks. Well, we'll be looking forward to that day. Hopefully it'll be very soon. All right. Well, this has been fun. Thank you. So thanks for including me in this. I oh, really, you're quite really welcome. appreciate it. And that concludes another segment of the Gay Archives podcast. You can find more podcasts at gaybarchives.com slash podcast. We also have more information about this podcast and links to the other podcasts we have completed. We hope you enjoy your trip down memory lane.